Welcome back to the HPBA podcast with our next installment of the Master Series. Tim and I are fortunate to call our next guest a mentor and the major sponsor behind the start of this podcast. Dr. Tim Pollock is the current president of the HPBA and really needs no introduction. If you've been to PubMed at any point in time in this millennium, you've likely noticed his academic prowess with contributions across the field of surgical oncology and HPB surgery with a focus on intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, surgical outcomes, health services research, and leadership. Dr. Pollock is the Surgeon-in-Chief of the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, Chair of the Department of Surgery in the College of Medicine. He is the Urban Meyer III and Shelley Meyer Chair for Cancer Research, and as if there is still room for more, a Professor of Surgery in the Department of Ohio State. Dr. Pollock has been a true leader in the field of HPV surgery, wildly successful academician and surgeon, and perhaps most impressive, a fantastic role model and mentor. He's certainly been a tremendous mentor and role model to Tim and I. We wanted to have a conversation with Dr. Pollock about leadership, mentorship, and being a leader in HPV surgery. We hope you enjoy this as much as we did while having coffee with Dr. Pollock. So we're here with Dr. Tim Pollock. Uh, Dr. Pollock, we appreciate your time today. We're going to focus today's episode mainly on career advice and kind of uh, how you got to where you are, how we can try to emulate a career like yours, probably not imitate, but maybe emulate to some, to some amount. Uh, so the first question that we kind of want to know is how, what was your path to chair? How did you get here? Who were your mentors early on and, uh, kind of how they affected your career? Sure. Well, first of all, Tim and Tim, it's great to be here as a Tim. We got the the Tim trio here this morning. So um, I want to thank you uh, for uh, doing this podcast. It's a a great initiative and uh, I'm really happy to talk to you today a little bit about, you know, my experience, my journey and leadership and building a team. So um, yeah, I can honestly say that I never really aspired to be a chair. Um, That was never one of my uh, career goals. Um, You know, I like to think I just try to live in the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, wherever, um, I found myself just try to work really hard, uh, do a good job. And then, um, for better or worse, I, um, lack a little bit of an attention span. So, um, after a while, um, you know, when I feel that, you know, there are opportunities, um, arise to challenge myself, to stretch myself, um, I look for those and try to take advantage of them. And I think, uh, you know, that's what drew me to Ohio State, to uh, go there to be a chair. I was looking for an opportunity to stretch myself personally and professionally. Um, after having been a division chief at uh, Johns Hopkins for about uh, four uh, years. Um, so I'd say some of my mentors that popped to mind. Um, one, I would say, is uh, Alan Yahanda. So Alan Yahanda was a, um, a resident at uh, Hopkins, actually, and then a young uh, faculty member at Michigan, and uh, when I was a young a, fac- a young intern at Michigan, um, I worked with Dr. Yohanda, and he was just a technically uh, gifted surgeon, uh, incredibly wonderful human being, um, and I really liked the way that he acted as a surgeon, as a person, interfaced with the patients, and that's really where um, my interest in surgery began. I think many of us meet people in our lives, and we want to be like them, both professionally and personally, and I would say that Dr. Yohanda was that person for me. And then through my career, I've been incredibly lucky to have other uh, really important mentors. One was uh, Nick Vote at uh, MD Anderson. Uh, Nick has been a very great uh, friend to me and mentor to me um, throughout my time at uh, Anderson, uh, throughout my uh, young career at, uh, at Hopkins, and even to this day. Um, really a, a thought leader, uh, someone who's passionate, someone who's driven, um, and is in a great example of uh, someone who is a, a technically expert surgeon. 
um, and yet combines uh, that with being a thought leader and really contributing to the academic community. Um, other people have been Mike Chody, who is my initial partner um, at Hopkins, and uh, watching Mike and how he built a practice and interface with referring doctors and was a technically a wonderful surgeon. And then I would say uh, Julie Freischleck. You know, uh, Julie um, was the chair at Hopkins, and I'll always be indebted to Julie for hiring me and taking a chance on me as a young faculty member and seeing uh, Julie and her leadership style and um, the cultural change that she um, led at Hopkins um, and brought me in as an outsider, as a non-Hopkins person, and um, really was a transformational, energetic, and inspirational leader. So I'm really uh, grateful uh, to Julie. So I think, you know, I have many different mentors, many different sponsors, um, but those are a couple of the, that immediately uh, popped to mind. So um, for some of us young surgeons who, who value a lot of the things that you just, you hit on, who are looking to progress along our academic career, our clinical career, and also our leadership career, kind of a different type of triple threat, um, which you clearly have hit all three things so far in your career. What do you think are things that are important for us to hit on early and try to grow in ourselves to become somebody who is both you know, um, successfully academically, clinically, obviously, as a surgeon, taking on very difficult cases, and you know, your passion is intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, but also as a leader um, and a builder of future teams? Yeah, I would say a couple things. Um, you know, I think it's important that we always remember that academic, as academic surgeons, we're, we're surgeons first. So I tell the residents and the medical students and faculty that it all starts with being an excellent surgeon. So I think um, it's really important uh, for young people in their training and early on in your career to, to be a great surgeon, learn to be a great surgeon, um, look for opportunities, look for mentors uh, to really master your skill um, because um, that's critical. Everything is derivative from a great clinical care and being a great surgeon. And if you want to have the respect of your peers and you're in the surgical community, it starts with having great clinical judgment and being a, a great surgeon. So I would want to really emphasize that first and foremost. The second thing I would say is um, find out what your passion is. Um, and um, you know now um, people can have passion in, in, in many different things. And I also say that when I'm talking to young people, young faculty members, I'm completely agnostic with regards to what people are interested in. Um, whether it be in education, health services research, policy, basic science, clinical trials. What I think is important is that people have an impact. So find out what you are passionate about and where you want to have an impact. Um, I think that is absolutely critical because um, as uh, leaders, we want to equip you to have impact and we need to know where you want to have impact and what tools you need to accomplish your goals. So I would say, um, you know, spend some time being introspective about, you know, what your trajectory of a career you want it to look like, um, what you feel passionate about, because if you're doing something that you feel passionate about, you're going to give that additional, you know, effort, that marginal effort above and beyond, because you want to do it. You love doing it. You know, I, I love health services research. I love writing papers. I love working with fellows. Yes. I love operating. Yeah. I love, you know, helping people. Um, you know, kind of actualize all their potential. So, you know, putting in additional effort to do all those things, I don't see as a burden. I love it. I lean right. into it. I want, I want to do that more and more. So that's what I would say, you know, find yeah. out what you really want to be, you want to, where you want to contribute, what you're passionate about, and then surround yourself with a great team. 
because that is absolutely critical. You yeah. know, the old African proverb, you know, if you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, you know, run together. Yeah. And so I think you really need to find out what you're passionate about and then surround yourself with great mentors, sponsors, and colleagues so you can make it happen. So yeah, I think along those lines, we sort of are interested in how you found your niche. Intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma is sort of a, a, you know, it's a rare disease. And, you know, just curious how you nailed down on that, how you drilled down there as opposed to all the other things that you have done. You have written about a, a lot of different things, but it seems like you've sort of found that. Is that Was that an early passion of yours or how did you kind of land there? Well, I think, um, you know, whether it be a clinical or an academic niche, um, uh, one uh, piece of advice that I got is try to find something that other people maybe aren't as interested in, yeah. right, or hasn't yeah. been as explored. So I think during my time, you know, at Anderson with uh, Dr. Vote, um, and looking at the landscape, now this is, you know, 15 years ago, time flies, yeah. um, you know, lots had been done in colorectal liver metastasis. There was lots being written around hepatocellular carcinoma. Yet, if you look in the literature, intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma was a grossly understudied disease, um, largely because it is somewhat uh, rare, and therefore no one institution had a large enough experience to really to study the disease in any type of rigorous way. So I very purposely identified that as an understudied area and then focused on that disease, trying to make a significant contribution towards our understanding of the uh, management, diagnosis, and uh, treatment of intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. Yeah. And so I think that can help both clinically. Sometimes when you enter a clinical practice, there may be a disease that is being underserved in your community or in your practice. And sometimes you can start off by focusing on that and be known as that person who does that specific disease. And I think uh, similarly, um, sometimes you can find a research idea that is derivative from other things that are going on at your institution but is slightly outside other other people's area of focus so there's not incredible overlap and you have room to grow and kind of make a name for yourself yeah. in a specific uh, area. So you know, something such as intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, as you mentioned, has no one institution really has a tremendously large volume of cases to publish huge series to look for outcomes and things like that. That kind of tailors into something that I've been very impressed with um, following your career, you know, one of my mentors is one of your colleagues, and so I've um, always talked about your work with him, um, is your ability to build teams for research collaborations to actually answer big questions with a team approach. So how do you recommend for younger surgeons to build collaborative efforts to answer some of these questions? Because I think a lot of the hard questions that we want to answer for surgical oncology HPV practice as an example is going to require a lot of teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it's all about team science now. It's all about, you know, multi-PI, um, you know, studies, whether it be yeah. basic studies, translational studies, or, um, you know, health services research outcome study. So I think that's super important. I do think nowadays, unlike maybe even 10 or 15 years ago, the real important thing to identify is what is the question? Because more and more everyone has the data, whether it be a large administrative data set or even these multi-center collaborations with data are more and more prolific. So what, we're, what I'm seeing is that more and more people have access to the data and more and more people have the st statistical wherewithal to analyze the data. Now doing you know, a chi-squared or multinomial regression or you know, uh, survival analysis, you know, everyone can do that. 20 years ago, you know, not so many surgeons could do that. 
So we have to think, if everyone has the data, or many people have the data, many people have the statistical wherewithal, really what's going to separate people out now is, you know, who has the interesting questions. Mm -hmm. So I'd say before you embark any collaboration, spend a lot of time thinking, you know, what is the interesting question? How is this going to be impactful? How is this going to change patient mm -hmm. care? I would spend time doing that first before you, you put all this effort into trying to building these collaborations. So that said, once you have an idea that potentially is impactful and transformative and will um, help patients, you know, I think building these multi-institutional um, uh, collaboratives can be quite helpful, especially to study some of the rarer diseases. And I think, um, you know, a lot of it is just collaboration and friendship. You know, I think um, what I really love about our era of, um, uh, you know, surgery, if you will, is that it's really characterized by a lot of collaboration. Um, you know, I think it is unlike perhaps in the past where many centers felt like, you know, they had their data and they were going to publish right. their data. Yeah. I think now um, with the, um, this generation of uh, surgeons, it's much more collaborative. There's much more sharing of ideas um, and data. But I think to do that, one has to um, be open and uh, truly have it be a two-way relationship. So when you're building these collaboratives, the individuals and institutions involved in the collaboratives, you have to be very open and sensitive to what their needs are, mm -hmm. what questions do they want to answer, what type of access will they have to the data, um, you know, wh what projects will be done, how will the projects be divided up. Um, I think issues of uh, authorship um, and um, accreditation or credit for the work needs to be decided um, up front. Um, but that being said, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, my general philosophy is why do it alone when you can do it together, right? Yeah. And um, I think the best part of academic medicine are the people, the people that you meet, the friendships that you build. So I would suggest to young people, you know, uh, spend a lot of time to think about what's important, get the idea right, um, attend a lot of great meetings like the Academic Surgical Congress <laughs> and the uh, AHPBA build friendships, um, which I think is the cornerstone of most great collaborations. Uh, listen to your collaborators, um, hear their needs, be responsive to your collaborators. And then also I think uh, you got to finish the deal. Yeah. You can't ask someone to do a lot of work and help contribute to a collaboration and then nothing ever comes of it. That will kill a collaboration. So you have to show your collaborators that there's going to be a return on their investment if indeed they embark on you on this journey to um, you know work on projects uh, jointly, how do you, how do you think that plays out throughout a career? Right, like early in your career, I mean, is that the time to start trying to sign people up for your own collaborative, or you should you kind of just be a, a player in the bigger organizations early on, and and then you know five ten years in start doing that, or do you start with a you know a onesie twosie collaborative with somebody you train with? Uh, and then try to build the bigger things later in your career. Do you, do you think that there's a right way to do that or just kind of what, what comes to you? Well, I think, uh, I think a couple things. One, one thing is I think early on, again, one needs to figure out exactly what they hope their career trajectory to be. Okay. So, um, and one needs to be sure that wherever they are, whatever job they have, that there is role clarity between what you think you should be doing from an academic point of view and perhaps what the expectations are of you from your division chief or your chair. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is that, um, you know, if the plan is for you to have a funded lab and or be funded in the health services research space, it may look very different 
than pursuing some of these collaboratives. A lot of these collaboratives can be leveraged potentially into prospective fundable projects, but largely to date they have been used more as retrospective yeah. Yeah. Um, means to publish papers which should not be underestimated because I think they can contribute substantially to the literature and to patient care. However, I would caution young people that if they are trying to move along a funded track, mm -hmm. that it can take significant time to build these collaborations and one should not take their eye off the ball. Okay. Um, and you can only probably focus on two things at once and do them well. So if you're trying to be funded, focus on being funded. Surround yourself with funded mentors and sponsors and focus on that because it is extremely important that we have a cadre of surgeons who are who are rigorous surgeon scientists who are still achieving peer-reviewed funding. I very much believe that is possible in basic science, translational work, and in health services research, but that may and often does look very different than the work that is done uh, with these collaboratives. That said, I think that um, starting off to your question, um, I think that you can frequently join these collaboratives. Maybe you're not going to be the PI, the one organizing it, because your network of people may not be broad enough that you're going to have the contacts to reach out. So it's a good way that you can put the toe in the water, so to speak, uh, contribute some data to these collaboratives, and then perhaps derive some um, publications um, and start to build relationships with people. And then ideally, uh, once these collaboratives are built, um, they may act as a platform for um, other um, um, research, such as uh, tissue sharing, uh, genetic analysis, and even the backbone of potentially uh, clinical trials. And I know in the AHPBA, under um, you know Dr. Um, Henry Pitt's leadership and Mike D'Angelico's leadership, you know th you know trying to move us towards more prospective clinical uh, trials. Um, using things like NISQIP and or some of these collaborations is something that we are kind of shooting for uh, right. in order to obtain more rigorous prospective um, data and studies. So just to kind of close out the idea of the collaborative work, what do you think uh, the biggest thing to avoid is or what's the biggest mistake you've seen in these? What, what pitfalls should we avoid as young surgeons who are interested in this kind of work? Well, I, I think... Um, you know, so one thing I would say is focus. You know, one thing to avoid is, um, you know, trying to um, start 25 things and finish one. Yeah. Um, I would say be a serial finisher. You know, uh, start two or three things, finish those things, finish them well, move on to the next two to three things, finish those things, finish them well, and so on and so on. I think sometimes what I see is that um, young people can um, overextend themselves, be stretched too thin, and then it can lead to um, more mediocrity in many things rather than expertise and excellence in a few things. Yeah. And um, whether we like it or not, academic medicine does not reward the Renaissance woman or the Renaissance man. It rewards people who have um, a deep uh, knowledge in a very narrow field. So again, identify what your passion is, identify what you want to be an expert in, and try to focus on uh, that. To finish that thought, um, you know, you've been at some tremendous institutions and now are leading a fantastic institution and seemingly really growing it at Ohio State. Um, a lot of um, new hires, you're really expanding your team a lot. 
what are you looking for in a potential team member who's going to potentially join you on this journey? What are the important things you look for? And then what are some things that you actually see that you, you think um, don't fit um, your team? Yeah, so the things I look for are um, passion, a plan, drive, and personality. Those are the things. I would say that, um, you know, I frequently tell recruits that, you know, we're, we're really lucky at Ohio State. We're blessed with um, a, a large facility with lots of resources, intellectual resources, um, physical space resources. Um, and so I tell people that I can provide almost anything that you need to be successful. I cannot provide drive, right? So give me a driven person any day over someone who on paper is quote unquote smarter. Because I think most of life is drive and heart, right? And I'm a big sports fan, so I got to bring in I got to bring in Tom Brady here, right? Yeah. But you know, TB12, one, TB12 <laughs> drafted 199, right? Yeah. Maybe not the most you know physically gifted person in the world, but the most driven person, right? Yeah. So you take people who um, are passionate about what they do, have drive, who want to have impact. And you put them in a situation that is resource rich with good mentors and sponsors and other good people who have drive and you have a recipe for a success. Um, you know, mediocre people do not want to be around great people and great people do not want to be around mediocre people, people, Nick Saban, UAB, right? <laughs> so, you know, building people who have the same type of vision and drive is what I think leads to success. But I think as leaders, part of our role is to help people kind of figure out what, what they are passionate in and what their, what their drive uh, really is. Um, and so those are some of the things. And then the personality piece is that I truly think that um, you can enjoy it, right? You, you live in the moment. You know, I, I think I don't believe in like delayed gratification to some degree, right? Because this isn't a life, this isn't a dress rehearsal, yeah. right? So trying to you know um, be successful now because you think it's gonna end up with you know enjoyment later is a wrong way to live life right I want to enjoy the journey so I'm looking also for people who you know have a optimistic attitude enjoy what they do um, and um, you know really kind of like live in the moment so so I guess um, to the switch gears just a touch some things that young surgeons like Tim and myself maybe some of our young listenership at the HPBA who are still crafting their careers always want to know when they when um, they hear the name um, Dr. Pollock is how on earth are you so productive? Um, how have you really made the most out of 24 hours in a day? I will preface that with saying that when I was a young resident, you came to give grand rounds at University of Virginia where I trained, and I think really what I got out of that was that man, I need to sleep less. <laughs> how do you? What's your week like, and, and how yeah. do you stay so efficient? I don't think it's um. Ha sleeping less I, it's all about team yeah. it's all about team that's you know I think team plus hard work equals success so I um, you know I think that uh, you know I am been incredibly lucky over the last 20 years that I've had incredible research fellows incredible uh, faculty colleagues um, incredible residents and fellows who I've had the joy of working with and we work really hard you know, and that's the other, there's no secret. I always joke, there's no Keebler elves, yeah. you know, in the tree writing these papers. It's us. So we work super hard, but we always work as a team. And I think um, if everyone um, is working as a team and you have uh, excellent people who have drive and passion, 
and you put them in a position for success, you have clear expectations, you have clear timelines, you lead from the front and make sure that you know you are working as hard, if not harder, than anyone else in, in the group, um, then you can achieve uh, a, a lot. You know, and I think uh, you know any success that I have had is uh, de definitely uh, directly uh, um, derivative from the people that I've, I've worked with and the team that I've surrounded um, myself with. So you know, I, I owe it all all really to them. Do you have any kind of tips, tricks, secrets for how you do? You have like a storyboard for all the projects you have going on. How do you stay organized, and how do you keep your team organized on all those things? Yeah, so I mean, I I try, and most of my research going to mostly clinical research yeah, and some yeah. big data stuff is, you know, you know, be, remain curious, you know, remain curious in the clinic, remain curious in the uh, in the operating room. You know, most of the ideas uh, come from clinical encounters, yeah. right? So, um, you know, it has to be at least for me. You know, I, I'm a surgeon who does health services research. I'm not a health services researcher. Who, who does surgery, if you yeah, know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that there's, you know, uh, lots of ideas that come out when I come out of the clinic, um, come out of a multidisciplinary conference and in the operating room. That's the first thing, remain curious. The second thing is good research ideas come from anyone. You know, the medical student can have a great idea. You know, yeah. if you're listening, you know, some of their questions because they are approaching it from a different perspective. You know, we can get blinded because we're seeing the same thing every day, every day. And then you have a medical student come in who maybe you know has never seen this disease before, and they can ask a fundamental question that we would just never ask because we have some baseline assumptions. And so, being open to good ideas come from anywhere, and then um, you know having an environment where people feel safe that you can brainstorm, um, that you know uh, you can kind of push the boundary with regards to like you know different ideas or projects and be critical of one another um, is all uh, super helpful. And then, yeah, I mean, we have some master spreadsheet where we have all yeah. the, the projects and what status <laughs> they're, they're uh, you know, in. Are they in preparation? Is it just an idea? Are we, are we crunching the data? You know, uh, things like that. Okay. So, so looking back on your first, let's say, five years out of training, do you have kind of a best and worst piece of advice? Or, or maybe that's not – you have kind of a, a best piece of advice and then the worst mistake you made and, and things that we should, we should strive for, things we should avoid early in our career to – to try to set ourselves up for success. Um, so I would say one thing is um, time flies, yeah. right? So um, you know you have a period um, when you're first getting started where you are largely undifferentiated, um, and so you need to seize that time um, to figure out what road you are going to go down, because five years in you can change roads, yet it is significantly more difficult so uh, again I think you know using that time as a junior faculty to really figure out you know what you want to do what you want to be known for so when someone says your name they're gonna associate you with master surgeon you know one of the busiest surgeons I know great scientists funded in the lab really making contributions to our basic fundamental understanding of the molecular underpinnings of cholangiocarcinoma great health services researcher, right? So, you know, what do you want your career to look like? And then you need to align your efforts to mirror that. So I would say one thing that I did is that every year I had five goals that I wanted to accomplish. And I'd write those goals out, I'd put it on a post-it note, and I'd put it above my desk. And these were like 
this year I want to publish 10 papers. Um, I want to get on a committee at the AAS. Um, I want to do, you know, 50 liver cases this year, some, whatever that was. Yeah. And I would have five goals because um, if you don't have specific goals for yourself, the year will go by and you will have done a lot, yet it may be hard to figure out what you have accomplished. Um, yet if you keep a North Star and you have five things that you want to accomplish in the year that align with your you know, perceived academic trajectory, then you can take a pause um, every two to three months and say, how am I doing? If I wanted to publish 10 papers this year, I'm a quarter of the way into the year, I've published none. Okay, well, if I'm going to hit 10, I got I to gotta pick up the pace. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do 50 livers this year. I've only done two. Well, what do I got to do to kind of change that? Do sure. I need to add a clinic day? Sure. And then look at your calendar. You know, how are you spending your week? Um, and if you want to be a basic science researcher and you open your Outlook calendar and you have, you know, three block days in the OR and two clinic days, it's unlikely you're going to get funded in the, in the basic science lab. Yeah. But that may look great on your Outlook calendar if your goal is to be a master surgeon, to be the busiest HBB surgeon in the institution. So I think one needs to plan, right? Always, you know, people say, right, no one ever uh, plans to fail. People just fail to plan. So you need to have a plan. You need to have concrete goals. You need to have a timeline. And you need to hold, your, hold yourself accountable, right? Because at, at, as a department chair, as a division chief, I cannot hold you accountable. Only you can hold yourself accountable, mm -hmm. right? I can help you. I can try to put you in a position for success, give you the mentors you need, the resources that you need. You, you have to do it, though. Only you can do it. So, um, you know, getting this sense of, um, you know, self-accountability. Yeah. And I feel sometimes that that can be a mistake sometimes when you're younger is that, you know, part of the reason why you may be failing is you don't have the resources, the mentorship or sponsorship. Part of the other reason you may not be getting to where you want to go is, A, you don't know where you want to go, um, and B, you know, you're not, you know, putting in the, holding yourself accountable or putting in the necessary effort to, to get there. Um, so. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. So um, I want to talk about the HPBA in general and your upcoming year as president of the HPBA. What do you see for your year coming forward and um, where do you want to um, push the HPBA um, with your efforts in the next year? Yeah, so I'm, you know, first of all, I'm really honored to, to be the president of the HPBA. Um, it's a wonderful association um, that I would strongly encourage uh, young faculty members to get involved with. Um, lots of opportunities to uh, get involved on committees um, and uh, really um, help advance your career in multiple different ways. Um, it's been a great association for me. I've developed lots of friendships and, um, and grown as a leader through the um, association and my leadership style and my skills and have learned from other people before me. Um, who have been leaders in the association. And so, you know, I hope to just build on um, a lot of the previous great work that has been done by the prior leaders. Um, you know, I think our identity as a, an America's pancreatical biliary association is extremely important to me. Um, I really want to continue to foster our relationship with Central and South America and the chapters um, in those uh, locations um, and continue to foster the um, the contributions from our colleagues in Central and South America. Um, I'd like to um, continue to focus on young people. Um, you know, I really enjoy, you know, young people. You know, I think uh, 
you know, focusing on residents and fellows and trying to identify uh, more ways for uh, the next generation to really interface with our association um, and grow and um, uh, find more ways that they can get involved both on committees and research um, and at the meeting is something that's uh, really um, important to me. And then I think also a continued focus on diversity. Um, you know, we, we have a challenging specialty um, that is largely dominated by uh, white men. Um, and so I think, um, you know, having a focus on uh, continuing to um, enrich our association and our spe specialty with um, a diverse group of individuals um, is uh, super important and uh, warrants attention. Last thing is, as we close here is, um, and thank you for that, is does the Buckeye follow you around throughout your day? Because I've seen some awesome Instagram posts or Facebook posts of the Buckeye at your house and stuff like that. How the heck did you manage to get him to come hang out? Is it out? just you in the suit? Yeah. Oh, no. Is it, you make like a I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Brutus. Brutus is the man. Brutus is the man. He's clearly the, be the, be the best mascot um, in all of college football. So we have a, we have a very tight relationship. And uh, any uh, uh, event at my home, um, we always have uh, Brutus come by, so we're, so we're, awesome. we're on a first-name basis. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you very yeah. much for your time. Yeah, thank you for your time today. We didn't get into a lot of clinical topics, but we'll have you back for another episode where we talk a little bit more about clinical, but, you know, some great advice, and I think, you know, things that I'll certainly take to heart. We really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you for tuning in with the HPBA podcast with Dr. Timothy Pollock. Thank you for your time. Tim and Tim, again, thank you so very, very much.